My name is Patrick Nugent. On June 23, 2019, I started walking with Jesus. Come hear my story and the story of so many others whose lives have been changed by their walks with Him. Come walk with us. Good morning! Nope, that's not a good welcome either. Sorry, I still don't have a compelling greeting yet. Thanks for walking with us today. My name is Patrick Nugent, and I want to just thank you for being here, walking with us today. This is the first of the Getting to Know Your Host series. This is the first episode of me telling my own story. And the truth is, I'm terrified. I am uh, I'm afraid of saying something blasphemous. I'm afraid of sharing lots of detail about my own life and, and telling my own story for an audience, uh, an audience that, that is potentially worldwide. Bear with me as I go through some of this and, and just experience some of these emotions live with you, uh, because it's pretty scary to get behind a microphone and, and say, okay, here's all the things that I've done and here's what's wrong and here's what's going on. Here's what was happening in my life that needed rescue. And so it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely something that, that I'm still trying to adjust to. I pray through that fear as I've posted podcast episodes. Each time I post something, I get a little less afraid about people listening and things like that. The original fear, of course, is uh, no one's going to listen. And then as people have listened, it's been very exciting and wonderful. I know that people are waiting for my story, and so I want to share that with you. But it takes more than one episode. There's no way that I can share my entire experience of walking with Jesus and pre-walk with Jesus in a 30-minute episode. It will come out as a series of episodes called Getting to Know Your Host. And the idea of this is to, to tell my story. Since I launched this podcast and since I've begun my walk with Jesus, I've been asked, did you join a cult? And pre-Jesus me would have wondered the same thing. I went to church once with my dad when I was in my early 20s. A buddy of mine and I drove down to Nashville to hang out with my dad and his requirement was, you know, hey, we don't mind if you hang out at our house and, and all that for the weekend and go party in downtown Nashville, but you have to go to church with us on Sunday morning. And so we got up, we went to church with my, my dad and my stepmom on Sunday morning, and we walked into the building and there were a bunch of people with their hands raised. A gesture that I now know is a sort of sending out prayer and energy to God, to the cross, uh, or to someone but they were holding their hands up in what young 20s Packy saw as the Hitler salute. And I remember walking in and going, uh, what's happening here? Did my father join a cult that worships Hitler? And after my buddy and I walked out of that church, we got into the car and we immediately said, we got to go do something dirty. We feel like we, we, we're just, ugh, we're in this gross cult and, and they're, constantly trying to do all this. We just, we got to go. We got to go do something dirty. We got to get out of here. I think that's probably because in 21st century America, so much of the behavior of 
Christianity is seen as cultish or weird, or at least it was weird to me. I actually had a friend of mine tell me that, that he sees all organized religion as cults. And, and so the first thing I want to do is define what a cult is. So if you look it up on Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you'll see that the first definition is a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Also, its body of adherence. That's the first definition listed. A religion regarded as unorthodox. So if you look up unorthodox on Merriam-Webster, the definition is not orthodox. Okay, thanks for that. Super helpful definition. If you look up orthodox, it says conforming to established doctrine, especially in religion, which I guess would mean unorthodox means that you're not conforming to an established doctrine. So I think a lot of this is perspective. To a Christian, there are many groups that seem cultish. And to a non-Christian, there are also many groups that seem cultish. In a culture where me, 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 live your truth, do what makes you happy, serving others, which is what Christ calls us to do, is seen as unorthodox. Our media, our politics, our general belief today is that government is the end-all be-all, that we achieve joy and achievement and all of those things through government, through political party. That's how you become part of mainstream society. And so anything that's not mainstream or unorthodox is, is looked down on. People who, are, who have chosen the way of Jesus and who live it out, who truly live it out, and who say, no, 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 I'm not going to get involved in your political discussions because I don't pledge allegiance to the Republican Party. I don't pledge allegiance to the Democratic Party. I pledge allegiance to God. And that's seen as wrong. It's seen as evil. It's seen as destructive. It's seen as oppressing people into behavior and things that they don't otherwise want to do. And I just think that that is blatantly false. So did I join a cult? I guess that's a matter of perspective. I guess it's a matter of which doctrine do you subscribe to? Which doctrine do you follow as orthodox? I'm a part of an unorthodox group that is pushing against politics, that is pushing against mainstream culture, saying, no, this is not how we're going to survive and flourish as a people. Andy Stanley refers to Christianity as a first century cult. And I like that. I think that that's really good because it went against the culture of the time, the, the Roman culture that existed when Jesus was born. The Romans controlled everything. They not only controlled the government, but they also controlled through that government what you were allowed to practice, where you could practice it, all of those things. They controlled religion. They controlled all of the aspects of society through laws, through legislation, through enforcement, through armed soldiers. If you don't listen to us and you don't do what we're going to tell you, we'll execute you. And we don't value life, and so it, we have no problem executing you. Up until the time of Jesus, it was completely normal for one country to invade another country, like Russia recently did to the Ukraine, and we were all outraged. Before the time of Jesus, 
people weren't outraged by things like that. When one country decided, you know what, we're going to commit genocide today. People weren't outraged by that. The people that the genocide was happening to were quite outraged. But the neighboring people were like, ah, that's just the way the world is. It wasn't until Christ that that changed. There isn't really evidence of a culture respecting life, valuing life, putting energy behind protecting life. Instead, the cultures were all about conquering and power and achieving more and more, whether it be for one person or for a group of people. I once heard a quote that the difference between a church and a cult is that a cult has secrets, that a church reveals everything. I heard that after I started going to church, but that means in a real, Jesus-loving, Jesus-following church, there aren't secrets. We openly profess sin. We are a community of believers, a community of love, and we serve in our communities. We go out and we act as the hands and feet of Jesus, doing things, whether the people who are receiving are believers or not, we don't care. We go out, we serve meals. We go out, we fix things, we paint things, we rake yards, we do all of those things serving for people who aren't able to do these things for themselves, to show the love of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, they will know you are my followers through your love. And that's what we try to do. We try to live out the mission that Jesus called us to. And if that sounds like a cult to you, then maybe you should come and meet this Jesus. Come and walk with this Jesus, the real Jesus. Plain and simple, I think modern media has painted Christianity as a cult because it could be seen as dangerous to the established government and the establishment of the people in power. Not unlike the time when Jesus was actually around. If you've listened to the episode with Melissa Nugent, You'll hear her say that she doesn't like the word Christian. She doesn't like being known as a Christian. And I understand that. I feel that. Being a Christian in today's society is absolutely despised. The story is that Christianity is oppressive, that it's, that it's evil, that it, it pushes people down, that it, it looks down on people, that it's judgmental. And my experience pre-walk with Jesus was just that, that there was a lot of hypocrisy within the church and that on Sundays you would hear people listen to a message and then they go out and live life for the other six days a week in a way that, that serves themselves or that serves uh, some other master, some master that isn't God. But since I came to walk with Jesus, I've learned that that's actually everyone, that that we struggle, that everyone struggles with trying to make themselves better. Whether you're talking about Christians or non-Christians, believers in God or non-believers, complete and total atheists, many people today in 2023 are struggling with being better. If you go to a bookstore, the self-improvement section continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I remember when I worked at Barnes & Noble many years ago, the self-improvement section was two four-foot bays. So, so there was eight feet, and I think the shelves were maybe six feet tall. And, and that was the self-help, self-improvement section. 
Now it makes up an entire wall of the bookstore because there are more and more books coming out on the topic of helping yourself. How do you find happiness? How do you achieve joy in life? And I have a lot of thoughts on that. I have a lot of um, experiences that I'll share through these stories uh, and through my own story. So whether you call it a church or a cult, as Shakespeare said, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. That's from Romeo and Juliet. It is something that, that since my walk with Jesus started, I have kind of wrestled with. Because for the beginning part of my life, the first many, many seasons, uh, everyone who knew me knew me as Packy. And now people know me as Patrick. As you've even listened as an audience member to the first few episodes of this show, you've heard Ben and Melissa refer to me as Packy, but Jeff Fernandez refers to me as Patrick. And so maybe you've been confused or been like, why, why do people call him different names? Or who are these two different people? Maybe they are two different people. I was born Patrick Nugent. My mother is Patricia. And so right away, my parents knew that they didn't want to have two Pats in the house. They didn't want me to be known as Pat because my mother is known as Pat. The nickname Packy was, was born. My parents saw it on a cardigan and, and actually bought that cardigan and framed it. And I have it in a frame on, on, uh, on my shelf. Growing up, all of my family called me Packy. All of the kids in the neighborhood and the adults in the neighborhood and everyone. I, I was known as Packy. All my teachers, right away in a class, you know, when you start a new class and the teacher is taking attendance for the very first time and they ask you if there's something different you'd like to be called. And so, so they'd say, Patrick, and I'd say, yep, yeah, but I go by Packy. And, and it takes some time for people to get used to that. Some people are like, wait, did you say Becky? And... <laughs> That's, that's been my experience for the first at least couple of decades of my life. In theater, my friends and, and everyone called me Packy, but in the program, I would list myself as Patrick. The idea was that my professional name or stage name would be Patrick. Well, the persona that I had built for the name Packy was this wild man. Through middle school, high school, and into college, I was rather untethered. My connection with what was right and wrong was real. I understood, but I didn't really care. And so my thought of being packy and being known as this party animal. I remember in high school, there was a hallway where after you'd put your street clothes back on from gym class, you'd have to stand in this hallway until the period was officially over, you know, till the bell rang. And so there would be just big crowds of people standing in this hallway. And, and I would stand up and I would scream the monologue from Braveheart. You know, the sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, of heart. And kills men by the hundreds. You know, that one. The, the marching in front of the soldiers monologue. Kids would clap and cheer and laugh and just have fun. And that was packy. I went to college and I, I started studying theater. And, and all my friends, 
They called me Packy. They referred to me as Packy. And that was, that was me. That was the party animal. I would stand up in front of any crowd and just start screaming random monologues from movies or, or TV shows or whatever. I used to joke that I didn't have a personality of my own. It was all borrowed from movie and TV characters. But that name kind of died when I moved from Chicago to Colorado and began school at University of Colorado. Um, it, it, it died out. I introduced myself as Patrick. I began going by Patrick because I hoped that moving to Colorado would start something new. In Chicago, I had been known as this person with this persona. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to be, I didn't want all that to carry over. And how silly that is because obviously nobody knew me. Nobody knew anything about me. I could have been any, could have called myself anything. The fact is my story involves a lot of pretending. I faked it a lot. I pretended to be something I wasn't, depending on who the audience was or um, what my intention was, what the intention with the audience was. I often told lies about my experiences, who I was and what I was doing. Um, since I started my walk with Jesus, he has convicted me of that repeatedly. I'll I'll randomly get memories in my brain of, of telling someone a lie and, and then know that God forgives me for that lie. But the people here that my lies may have hurt don't. And that conviction is, is meant to be a way to get closer to God. It's meant to be a sign for me to repent. Repent is an awesome Christianese word. It's actually just a kind of a, a Bible word. Um, but what repent means is to turn away from. When you think about doing something wrong and then turning away from it. You know, I, I used to tell people an apology means that you have a genuine intent not to repeat that behavior. If your apology is sincere, you have a genuine intent not to repeat that behavior. And that's exactly what repenting is. It's turning away from that behavior. It, we use that word all the time in, in Christian settings. Oh, you have to repent. You have to repent. Um, but a lot of people don't really understand. And I, when I first started my walk with Jesus, I didn't understand what that word meant. I remember looking it up and trying to find good definitions and more importantly, actions. How do, do you repent? How does one repent? repent. And so I was looking for like an instruction manual. I can follow directions. I don't like to, but I can. I can follow when someone tells me how to do something, what to do. I can, I can follow directions. I'm a pretty good cook. I can follow a recipe. And so I was looking for a specific set of instructions for how to repent. And it turns out that the way that you repent is by asking forgiveness and turning away from that behavior to make it so that you're not doing it again. Now, of course, we continue to fall into our habits. We continue to fall into doing the same things over and over again. And so oftentimes we have to ask Jesus, ask God for forgiveness for the same sin, the same mistake, the same behavior 
over and over and over again. And so, Patrick Nugent was born in the suburbs of Chicago, but then he became Packy, and he was Packy for 23 years, and then moved to Colorado, and, and then Patrick was reborn. Except that it was just worse. That, that partying, the lying, the behaviors that, that I was trying to overcome, that I was trying to reinvent myself, just became worse. In AA, there's a saying that when an a-hole gets on a plane in New York, an a-hole gets off a plane in Los Angeles. And what that means is that you don't change by changing your surroundings. You change by changing. And I reinvented myself into this tornado of a person. I was just a, a wreck. If you talk to people that I went to college at CU with, you'd hear stories of, of just lunacy, just absolute craziness. Stories that I told people, things that I told people that were just blatantly untrue and would never give up that lie. Even when caught red-handed in a lie, I would just lie and lie and lie to compound lies on top of lies. It just kept going and it kept digging. And so I, I numbed that icky feeling with booze and, and beer. I would, I would drink as much as I could to, to numb that feeling. At the very least, when I was sober, that thought was, well, I lied when I was drunk, so it's the booze's fault, not my own. It's because I was drunk that I'd made that bad choice, that I did something that was untrustworthy or cheated or lied or whatever it was. I did that because I was drunk. I told myself that for years. I'm convicted of that. I've been afraid of what would, what people would think. Because let's face it, we're living in cancel culture. Mistakes, that's it. There's no room for mistakes. And what I've learned is that in God's kingdom, there's forgiveness. There is no condemnation. That cancel culture means there isn't forgiveness. And we have to go against that. You know, I pretend to be this person that doesn't care about what people think. And there are many, many, many instances where I really don't care what people think. But I have been afraid of how people would respond to this episode, especially the people that knew me before I started walking with Jesus. The point of this podcast is to tell the story of Jesus through a modern light. Maybe you've heard the story of Jesus healing a leper, or healing a, a paralytic, or laying his hands on, on blind men and healing them. Maybe you've heard those stories, but those stories seem so far gone. That was 2,000 years ago. And, and Jesus, I'm not even really sure Jesus existed. So how can I believe that, that he is a healer? How can I believe that he is the Messiah? How can I be believe that there is such a thing as a Messiah? I haven't seen any evidence of God. This isn't 3,000 years ago where we prayed to God for rain and then it rained. And so we thought, oh, God is good. That's not, you know, we understand now where rain comes from. And so in my time 
before Jesus, I elevated my scientific mind above my spiritual mind. I felt like psychology and biology and earth sciences and all of that would prove that, that God didn't exist. There's a quote attributed to a theoretical physicist named Werner Heisenberg that says, The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist. But at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. And as Lee Strobel says, Whether you believe in God or not, you're taking a leap of faith. Whether you believe that Jesus was crucified for your sin and elevated through the resurrection, for you, or you believe he didn't exist, you're taking a leap of faith. The point of this podcast is that it will tell my story of Jesus rescuing me. You've heard now from a few of the people who have been very influential in my walk with Jesus. You've heard about their walks with Jesus. And so the idea of this podcast is to tell those stories so that as an audience member, you're able to hear what Jesus is doing today. Healing me from alcoholism, bringing me out of that alcoholism, isn't a miracle that happened 2,000 years ago. It's a miracle that happened three and a half years ago. And it's a story that I can tell. And I am a living, breathing person. And there are stories of so many other people who will share details about miracles performed in their own lives answered prayers in their own lives. And those stories are what we want you to hear. We want you to know that Jesus is with you, just like he's with me, in sin and on the mountaintop, in sin and in following. He's with you. What does it mean to walk with Jesus? Well, it means to be yourself. Jesus doesn't demand that you have to go through all of these steps before you begin your walk with him. You begin your walk right here, right now, right where you are. You begin your walk with him. Jesus meets you wherever you are. If you're a broken sinner who has cheated on spouses and has, has committed adultery and done those things, Jesus meets you and he welcomes you. If you're an alcoholic that has hurt people and told lies and done things that you don't feel like can be forgiven, Jesus meets you where you are. If you're a murderer, Jesus meets you where you are. So what does it mean to walk with Jesus? It means to look on the face of the Messiah and say, I want to be more like you and less like me. And then when you review the actions of Jesus, the things that Jesus did in his life, in his life as man on earth, you say, I want to reflect that. I want that to be what I do. And if in your life you're striving and working and constantly making an effort to be more like Jesus, your behavior, your speech, your thoughts reflect that. People will see that and they will know that you are a follower because of your love. Jesus commands us to do two things, to love God above everything else and to love our neighbor. And when a Pharisee asked him, well, who's your neighbor? Everyone. 
everyone is your neighbor. Your neighbor is someone you're standing next to at the grocery store. Your neighbor is the person who lives in the house next door to you. Your neighbor is your neighboring country. Your neighbor is your neighbor across the ocean. You love your neighbor. And that community of love is what walking with Jesus really is. It's not about joining a group that doesn't like a certain group. Christians have been known now for what they're against rather than what they're for. I, as a Christian, am for love. I'm for supporting one another. I'm for speech that builds people up and lifts people up, not tears them down. I'm for giving them the shirt off my back, if that's what's necessary. If my enemy strikes my face, walking with Jesus means turning the other cheek to allow them to strike that one too. If my enemy demands that I walk a mile with them, walking with Jesus means I walk too. The hope of my podcast is to put this into perspective for everyone. Christianity has been painted into something awful and something evil so much so that people who follow Jesus don't want to be known as Christians. Friends, I don't want to lecture you. I don't want this to be a sermon. I want this to be a story about me. But I can't tell my story without telling the story of my redemption. I hurt people. I lied to people. I was a drunk. And I violated so many promises. I abused food. I abused drugs. I abused alcohol. I abused pornography. I abused my body. All of those things against God. And yet, He met me where I was, and He brought me out of that and said, You are not what you were. Instead, now you walk with me, and you'll serve under me. You'll help your community rather than hurting it. You won't be hoarding pennies so that you can make sure your family's life is protected. Instead, you'll share. You'll live in a community where other people's well-being matters just as much, if not more, than your own. And you'll serve me. And that's what walking with Jesus is all about. Thanks for walking with us.